0: Welcome to the LookFar podcast, Voices from the Wild. Join LookFar Conservation as we talk to conservation leaders from around the world about their work, their life, the challenges they face, and the successes they've had.
1: On today's podcast, we're talking to Women for Conservation, an NGO run by nature conservationist Sara Lara and her daughter Isabella Cortez. Who are operating at the intersection of biodiversity protection, socioeconomic empowerment and family planning across Colombia. Women for Conservation is a spin-off of Fundación Proaves, a conservation organization that has been managing 27 reserves across Colombia for over 20 years and protecting endangered species in the most biodiverse regions of the country.
0: Welcome to the Lookfar podcast. We're here today with Sarah Lara and Isabella Cortez of Women for Conservation and Fundacion Avis to talk about their inspiring work in Colombia. Uh, I am Scott Stone. I'm the founder of Lookfar Conservation. And am thrilled to have two of my Lookfar colleagues also joining us today. Uh, Marlise Carino, our Chief Operations Officer. Hi, Marlise.
2: Hey, Scott. Good to be back
0: and our conservation director, Lucia Guaita.
1: Hi, Scott. Hi, everyone. Great to be here on the podcast with you all.
0: And Sarah and Isabella, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello.
3: It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thanks, Sarah. And Isabella, you too.
4: Hello. Thank you to everybody for watching us.
0: So Women for Conservation partners with uh, grassroots women's groups uh, around the world to protect wildlife and their habitats, empowering women with training in conservation and in sustainable economic activities, um, and including things like access to health healthcare and family planning. It's an initiative that you founded back in 2019, if I'm correct, rooted in your uh, your home in in Colombia. I'm wondering, um, you know, Sarah, just to start with you if you could tell us about you know, where did this idea come from and what motivated you to bring it uh, with Isabella you know, into being?
3: Uh, yes, as you said, we started in 2019. Um, and this started because uh, I, I start working as the executive director for Fundación Pro Aves in Colombia doing conservation work in the field protecting endangered species in very, very important habitats. ProAvis is an organization, a non-profit organization established in Colombia, run by Colombians and implemented by Colombians. We are a team of uh, 80 people at the moment. The majority are forest guards and the rest of uh, the support team is scattered all around Colombia. We have a network of 27 nature reserves. So each reserve protects an endangered or critical endangered species. We started with birds, four birds, but along the way, we noticed that there are important species that needed to be protected as well. So while I was working in this area, I really quickly realized that women didn't have Opportunities, as um, we really, I really wanted to see happening in the field, and that sparked um, a series of ideas to create these opportunities for women to engage them in different levels in the conservation projects, not only on the ground but also start investing in women in science, creating these and facilitating these these um, opportunities for them. Uh, really, I I really saw the the disproportion of of the number of women involved in the field. and that really inspired me combined with the love and passion that I have to help women. and that is linked to to my upbringing, uh, where I come from. I come from Colombia, Cauca, um in a very small village. And uh, all this love and care and passion was was also given by my mom and is always trying to help others and especially women and young girls. So that was the the combination that led to start Women for Conservation as, a, as its own organization.
0: And then Isabella, you're now the director of Women for Conservation. Tell us what you are trying to bring to the organization's work what your vision is as it grows forward.
4: It's an honor because um, this entire vision comes from a a sense of connection and, and harmony with everything that stems from all the way back to the Chipcha Empire and the connection of the indigenous with the land. The importance of understanding why people who are connected to these areas are needed to conserve these areas. So being able to take a broader scale of uh, perspective of thinking about the landscape um, with human beings, just as important as as protecting the animals is is really something that is visionary because in the field of conservation, you seldom find projects that are really working towards the holistic betterment or improvement of people and their well-being around nature mm-hmm. reserves so that's something that we really take into consideration
0: you know i as i understand it the work breaks down into three categories you know conservation economic opportunity and 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 health and so maybe starting with the, the conservation work what comes to mind in terms of recent or maybe not so recent of a of a story or an example of Something Women for Conservation has has done and, and who you've worked with and, and where it was and you know, what resulted from that.
3: What we learned while working with ProAves is that if we engage the community at all levels, we can have a huge impact on conservation, in a positive impact. So for years, we what we're trying to do is to get conservation very close to the level who or the people who are out there in the rural areas where the species and the biodiversity lives. So what we did is incorporating, yes, the science science component where it is important to understand the ecosystems and the habitats and what are the threats. And then we, we took really quick actions on mitigating those threats with the community designing programs, environmental education program is a huge one. And I shared one, which is the recovery of the yellow ear parrot. This was became a national campaign where we had original two sites in Colombia. And over the years, we involved the Catholic church, the environmental agencies, the local authorities, the schools, the environmental education groups, so the whole constituency, the women, and we all came together and changed one tradition that was destroying two species: the yellow year parrot and the wax palm, into a, a celebration of life. And everyone play a part and a very important part. So when we when we show that if we can act on changing these behaviors. It was incredible. The success happened over years. Within two or three years, the, the species the numbers of individuals started to increase and doubling every year to continue to. And now IUCN has, has downlisted the yellow ear power to vulnerable when it was critical in danger. Me being a woman in a leadership position, and I think this is why it's critical to have more women leading organizations on the ground. And uh, uh, investing in a new generation is so important because if we invest in women and balance the scale, we can have more more constituency joining us and specifically targeting women, a group that has been relegated for
4: yeah.
3: forever. <laughs> start getting a little bit a little bit of my personal story. So I'm a civil engineer by training. I work in a construction and I had no idea of the beauty and the need for protection of the species in my country. So I was completely ignorant. And that was the first thing. First of all, I didn't know. And when you don't know about something, you don't love it or you don't don't care about it. First thing, education. I was educated and introduced to the beauty of nature and birds. I never remember watching in my country. I didn't even notice birds, which is sad. Living in a country with yes, you're surrounded by nature, but not identify or being aware, and it's not easy. Hasn't been easy, but uh, we have accomplished so much. And what it makes me happy is to see uh, areas protected, habitats conserved, women and, and men and and everyone getting involved in doing something for environment. So that's how I start. I was a volunteer, and I got passionate, and I was educated about the need. And I think when uh, when we go to these communities and you're able to speak the language, their own language and communicate and understand that women go through abuse, um, very hard situations where the lack of money to be independent and really struggling with poverty. And these are issues that women across the world can relate to, unfortunately. Mm.
0: Do you, when you sit down, do you tell, because, well, I think that's a really important insight, which is, um, this isn't really a story about conservation. It's a story about, um, the challenges women face in Colombia, you know, and elsewhere, do you tell your own story when you start or do you start with the yellow-eared parrot?
3: Well, Scott, I think, uh, it depends where I am and where uh, I start talking. Obviously, um if we are in a setting where it's more professional setting, we start with scientific uh, with results, people want to see your impact. But if we are with women and we are on the ground on the ground and we are one to one, many times I start with my own my own experience, my own endurance. And I am happy to share the personal and intimate uh, life story. Because this is when we relate to one another. So what happened to me, and as a, what happened to my mother, how we grew up—it wasn't easy. I think it—it it was terrible. I had the opportunity to talk years ago about my personal experience and overcoming abuse and becoming things, challenges that women face everywhere, and that connects me to women. Immediately, so I always I, I ask sometimes, do you want to know my why I decide to be to to choose conservation women uh, to become my my purpose in life? If you want the diplomatic answer, or if you want my super deep personal and intimate answer, and then most of the women want to know the very very deep, and I open up, and I'm no I'm no ashamed of sharing how I have to overcome challenges, but that is what joins us and makes us strong. And we just bring walls down and we
2: are connected. Probably in your work with Pro Aves, you were meeting women and you saw the obstacles that prevented more women to actually come in and work in conservation. Is that how this started? Because I found it so fascinating. You provide education, environmental education, but you also provide support in family planning and health care. You don't usually see that in a conservation space. So what is the link? Do you need to do one in order to achieve the other?
3: Um, My my view is so connected that if women don't have the opportunity to plan their lives, uh, when to have children and how many children they want to have, especially in rural areas, it's going to be a very difficult road for them. And many of them for years and years we've seen it, they can't continue their education or basic education or, and the high school education is absolutely. Then you have the first limitation and you can't expect that women to continue a career if they don't have the support, financial support and then opportunities for them to have access to it's difficult in general and even more difficult for environmental studies studies or conservation careers because you need to have this preparation, this training, this mentorship. You need to be part of a network. And this is another challenge that what we want is conservation not to become uh, selective or just for a few who has some level of education, but conservation can be done in by many 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 people that it can become a way of living if you don't break it like conservation is only something that is done by organizations uh, in the country who had a lot of uh, financial support of our international organizations big organizations to me that is one of the things that it makes it so hard that people don't know how can i start how can i help you what can i do if
2: if it's not something that everyone can do. If you have two, three kids when you're 20 or 21, you don't have money or the time to go to school.
3: Many examples, I think. And Isabella, maybe you can share some of those examples because you've been with these young ladies, uh, spending a lot of time and being a role model for, for them.
4: Exactly. Like, just examples of me growing up. I would be growing up, you know, maybe 15 and I would, like, in one of these places because I would go to a lot of the, the forest, the rainforests and um nature reserves growing up and I'd be playing with this girl that's fifteen like she has a baby. I'm 27 and it's rare for a 27 year old to not have a child. Or here in in the Sierra Nevada where the culture here around the Caribbean, the culture is like young girls get married young. And they get married at, you know, anywhere from 16, 15 to, you know, 22 already, having many children. My age, when I'm going to the brigades, when I'm helping people, there are 24-year-olds or 22-year-olds with three, four children.
2: So you're opening up their minds, really, and showing them that there's other possibilities. You don't have to. You're breaking culture in a way.
4: Yeah. I, I think one of the most powerful things that you can do is to lead by example. And I've had the opportunity for the last three, four years actually to really go to the places and work directly in the communities like the Emberacatio community in the Chocó or the communities here in Sona San- Bananera, near Tazajera, near some of the most impoverished areas of, of Colombia. We have a partner called Fundación um, Familia with different clinics, different um, brigades, with nurses, psychologists, and they're in major cities in Colombia. And so what we've done is that we bring brigadists of nurses first to have a first meeting with the community. And they all talk about the different contraceptive methods. There's like a month process that they have to do. And uh, we talk to the men in the community as well, separately in some cases and sometimes together, it depends.
3: Uh, if I can add something to what Isabela's mentioning, um, all, uh, before that, there is a series of conversations and community involvement on the conservation of general aspect of what we're trying to, to achieve in that area. So all of the work that we're doing takes place in the buffer areas of uh, key biodiversity areas, working with these rural communities. When we go to them and, and they're part already of, of the understanding of why the presence of these conservation projects. So there is a dialogue, there are environmental education activities. So it's not only one time that you go and present this to the community. There is already a process in place. With them, we build what would be the more suitable approach. And this is one of the tools in the toolbox that we use. So when they are ready and when there is this willingness and openness and is is a good momentum and is is co-created with them, we are very aware of this is a process that we are facilitating, but they are determining the pace and the how big they want to do in the communities. They are the ones who go back to their friends and family relatives, share about this initiative and they're requesting our support, and our facilitation.
2: The men are also open to it, I understood.
3: Yes, men are super interested to be part of the solution. We were shocked. 15 years ago, you will dare not mention vasectomies to anyone. And to our surprise, when we start doing the health clinics, they ask us to help them. First, the response from us was, no, why men need our help? (laughs) Second thought, yes, we should because we understood how difficult or literally impossible for men in rural areas from these areas is to get access to vasectomy. And these men gave us for the first time their thoughts on why they did it. It was beautiful to understand that they also care about nature. They are doing for an act of love to their wives and their families and to themselves.
0: What we think is so interesting and important about Women for Conservation's work is the way you start with a highly biodiverse area. These are often quite remote, but there's still people living there. And like Isabella was saying, there is a lack of all kinds of opportunity Resources, education, law that uh, not only negatively affect the people and particularly the women that are living there, but also the biodiversity, the resources. And so what we found so interesting about your model and your approach um, is how you can go into a community and partner with them and maybe you're addressing issues around reproductive health. Or you're looking to spark local economic opportunity. But when that's done right and when that comes from the community itself with your help, then that can produce benefits for biodiversity in, in the surrounding area. That's certainly not how sort of conventional or traditional, you know, habitat protection has occurred. And yet, you know, we always, we recognize your model as one that's innovative and that's progressive. And that can be very effective over the long term when you're when people like you are, are in the lead. Is that a fair characterization?
3: Very fair. And I like the word that you use, progressive, because I thought that is a nice way to put it when you really feel, sometimes feel like, oh my God, what are we doing? <laughs> are, are we being too progressive? But 15 years ago when we started, it was more difficult and now it's getting easier.
0: Well, what I love about that is Most conversations about conservation focus on something like the uh, yellow-eared parrot. For you, it's about creating opportunities for men to get vasectomies. (laughs) Not just that. I think your work shows that, no, no, no. I mean, you, you can't just talk about wildlife. You can't just talk about biodiversity. You can't just talk about habitat protection. You have to get into what's happening within communities. The word progressive is true, but it's also kind of nuts. But I mean that in a good way. I think it's good when you have a really complex, desperate problem. You have to be a little crazy if you're going to come up with solutions.
3: And uh, if I may share, it's nothing more beautiful when I go to Colombia. And I meet a young man who recognized me and said, Doña Sara, remember me? It's like grown up with careers in environmental biology they share with me their story and uh, how we influence them and make an, an impact in their hearts and uh, let them to get excited about and that makes me so happy now they are leading uh, authorities uh, offices in the environment sector It's wonderful i we calculated more than three thousand two hundred people have been Employed by private over the years. Uh, we're talking about thousands of uh, young professionals. And uh, as I mentioned, we're always looking for opportunities to sponsor women, uh, young professionals, to make sure that they come to the reserves. They have grants. We're now establishing bio, uh, stations, uh, scientists, and biological stations in the nature reserves so they can come and do their. Thesis training and they produce the papers and do research on species. I think if you, uh, at the beginning of the year, I went to the yellow year parrot in Hardin, Antioquia, and he said, Well, the secretary of, Health, of environment is going to come with us, is, is, is of the region. I said, Well, this is fantastic. So we went there, and here, Dona Sara, it's me. I'm like, oh my God. I obviously didn't recognize and We had a Sara had a A chat, and he remembered very clear when I sat with him in one of the hotels 20 years ago, and I told him about the yellow pattern, and he was just a boy, seven, eight years old. Now, Isabella, leading with conservation, is also looking to support individuals that need this investment. Um, There is, for instance, the first uh, transgender. Uh, forest guard uh, indigenous, there is not many cases like this that you will, you will hear a transgender indigenous forest guard and environmental education leader.
4: And um, mm-hmm. I would say that it's very important to um, highlight these stories because it is a difficult reality that we live in and, and uniqueness, you know, isn't always celebrated in many communities. So it is important to to train people as much as we possibly can and to be as successful with our trainings. And that's why we've invested a lot of time and energy in being able to maximize the way that we train people, and what tools we give and and how we can take experts to the field that are very well-equipped ornithologists, as well as people that have been visiting from you know Fulbright scholarships that teach English that can help with that aspect because forest guards are also learning birds' names in English, Spanish, and Latin, which is very important, especially for individuals who didn't have an education, like Nufa wasn't educated formally. So her being able to learn birds' names and repeat birds' names is very important, as well as the rest of our forest guard team that are very dedicated campesinos that are putting their energy forward to help support conservation in the field. And they're the real heroes of the stories and heroines. heroines, yeah. heroines.
0: <laughs> yeah. And something you said, you know, a moment ago, Isabella, I think is a really good point, which is when you're a ranger or a forest guard in Colombia, you're often talking to people that do not understand or do not want protected areas. Don't see its values and being able to connect to those people and those communities and show how there's something here for everyone how everyone can benefit when you've balanced you know protection with local economic opportunity women's rights human rights public health that's a remarkable responsibility that a you know forest guard in a protected reserve has to has to shoulder
4: there are multidimensional issues in these areas um the people essentially they don't have a choice they have to use natural resources cuz that's the only means of money so if you're working in these areas you know you have to understand that people will try to log people are mining there are issues that's just what people live off of they have no other opportunities cuz it's difficult to get to electricity etc so one of the main points is that we want to develop these areas of 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 focus for alternative livelihoods to these very extractive of natural resource um, practices. The
3: local economy, maybe 20 20 years ago, uh, we were the first ones to talk about the importance of bird tourism as as a sector and bringing income to the local communities because we have facilities in some of the reserves for visitors to do bird watching. And uh, we were, Pro Aves were the first ones to participate in the bird fair in Rutland in the UK, a big platform to, to advertise destinations. And I was there with Isabella when she was, she was six years old, volunteered, dressed uh, with a typical Colombian dress talking about why they should come and visit Pro Aves Reserve in El Dorado, in Pau Hill, in Tangira, yeah. uh, eight locations. So there we go. Being that's so smart.
2: <laughs> you, that's so smart. You immediately made the connection between conservation and business, right? Because um, you saw, OK, well, this is so important, but I can actually this can be a revenue stream. To and very an important for the
3: community. And that's when we start training locals as a guides, the community for the service industry. They were helping at the lodges. But what we wanted is them to set up their own businesses, small businesses, and be independent. So they're, they're, for us, it's very important that communities don't fully depend on the organization. They, if they become autonomous and run with it, that's what is a long-term
1: and sustainable model. And that's how it should be. feel it's so fascinating, Isabella, to learn how much you, Sarah, and the whole team knows about those communities. Like You really know their needs in depth. So this goes... Way beyond conservation, you know, there's pieces of anthropology, social sciences, their economy. I I do understand that probably the the world women in co- for conservation concept at the beginning might have been a little misunderstood because maybe the conservation world was still not ready to receive such a complex concept, but something that was also ranging beyond the borders of ecology and biology itself. So I wanted to learn from you um. How is the, you know, the whole approach perceived now by the the international communities, but also, you know, within Colombia, how how do other uh, conservation actors see you?
4: I would say that there's there's a lot of um, organizations now that are using the word intersectionality, which is something that, um, you know, perhaps Sarah can tell you about 15 years ago. No one talked about gender. No one talked about intersectionality. But locally in Colombia, I would say that we're unique in the sense there's other organizations, obviously, that work with women, but I still haven't really met an organization that really focuses on that connection of biodiversity with women.
1: That's a great perspective. And we also know that you're also partnering up with other NGOs uh, that are not just in Colombia, but also in Sierra Leone, Nepal, and I also believe Madagascar.
4: See, Yes, I do. I think that there's um, a big possibility. And I think that is the main point is to really identify who that woman leader is in our community and to empower her directly and to give her the tools to be able to create these changes like in Madagascar the six forest guards that we have are really really powerhouses as well as being able to give them for example bicycles and vests and uniform and binoculars and things that they need
0: so i think we'll end with with that and that's that's good so you know i, I will i will close with this which is a big part of look far's work and especially of this podcast is to look at what's working not what's wrong and the idea that there are people maybe listening to this podcast or who might otherwise learn about your work in other ways and be inspired by the example that you're setting and go forward and try themselves in their communities and in their countries to replicate the the work that you that you've done and i think that's ultimately how we scale globally. But thank you very much. And uh, really look forward to hearing more about all your heroic work in the near future.
3: Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to share our story and our work. With Great. You. Thank
4: you so much for this opportunity of getting to have this conversation and capture this beautiful moment. Thanks,
0: really. Lookfar is a U.S. 501c3 Non profit organisation dedicated to defending wild and wondrous places and working with the people living in and among them. More at lookfar.org.